I'm Kate Parker. This is Warming Signs, a podcast with the sound minds of science. It may seem worlds away, but what happens in the Arctic has a direct connection to our weather here in the U.S. And the Arctic is changing drastically in a warming world. Some or even all of the changes you may not know about because they're occurring so far away. But if you find yourself knee deep in thick wet snow this winter, those changes that happened halfway around the world could be at play. So I spoke with Dr. Judah Cohen. He's Director of Seasonal Forecasting at Atmospheric and Environmental Research. He specializes in the relationship between the Arctic and our winter weather. And he's got great insights into how this winter is shaping up and how we know the world is warming around us even when it's cold outside. Dr. Cohen, I'm so happy to see you here in studio. Thanks for coming to Atlanta. Well, it's a great pleasure to, uh, to be here in person. It's uh, cold outside. And we, we often, as, you know, as a meteorologist, I have people tell me, where's that global warming? I could sure, could sure use some of that global warming. Has that happened to you? Do you get well, We must have the same people. <laughs> yeah, apparently. I get the same exact uh, reaction from people. And what do you say back? I said it could be worse <laughs> without global warming. It could be worse. <laughs> That's a good one. I haven't used that one. That's a great one. So what is the number one thing that you think that people misunderstand or people get wrong whenever it comes to climate change and winter? Right. So <clears throat> first, um, people do confuse or conflate weather and climate. Yeah. So um, just because it's snowing today or it's cold today doesn't mean that's really representative of the overall climate. Uh, so uh, when we talk about climate change, it's really over a long period of time. It's an average, um, the mean, let's say, of, of, uh, of many days and weeks and years and, and really decades. And, uh, and there's a lot of variability, uh, you know, around those averages, uh, those what we call, you know, the, the normals, as, as weather folks call it. And... Even though the you know the the, the climate is changing, it's clean, it's changing, it's changing all the time. It's not a monotonic change. It's not like you know tomorrow you know today is warmer than yesterday. Tomorrow will be warmer than today. It uh, because that's weather. That's weather. Yeah, and that's what makes it interesting. The the day to day variations. So just because we have a across the globe, whenever you average it out, a warming does not mean that we don't have winter anymore. Right. No, and you know a lot of times. So, actually, North America's had a few cold winters in a row. Maybe you know, really since 2013, 14, we seem to have a streak of, of cold winters. We had some warm winters with that super El Nino, but take that out, we've had cold winters. So, you know, I, I spend a lot of time on Twitter, and people like to say, um, "Well, first, you know, people that are very skeptical say, oh, look, look how cold it is.' Like last year, we had that you know polar vortex uh, event in, in the end of January. Well, it's super cold, record cold." You know, stay, Illinois had their all-time coldest temperature. You know, how, how could there be global warming? And then, so the scientists like to say, well, if you look, take a, a much broader picture, and it's, yeah, sure, it's cold over the Midwestern U.S., but it's warm everywhere else across the globe. I mean, I don't, I don't like to use that as a counter argument against, you know, our global warming, because in a few weeks it gets flipped, and it can be, you know, cold, much, much larger scale. It can be cold 
both in North America or Eurasia or just, let's say, Eurasia. So I'm kind of forgetting where I'm, I'm trying to go with this. <laughs> so you don't use that as a no. way of saying, you know, hey, it's cold outside. It can't possibly be global warming. What do you use? Yeah, yeah. so I don't like to say, oh, well, it's cold. You know, a lot of, I think a lot of the scientists like to say, oh, it's cold here, but it's not warm everywhere else. I mean, I don't think that's a, a very good argument, especially... And I we, made that <clears throat> argument. <laughs> no, I mean... No, because of the next day it could change. And, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And in winter, we, we, we have been seeing, we've seen this cold. That In the summer, I, I do believe in the summer, it's very hard to get cold in many places at the same time. It's, it is so localized when we have cold weather. Like we had some cold weather in the, you know, in the central part of the country with all that flooding this past spring and through the summer. It was almost really localized to the U.S., <clears throat> but in winter, you can get very large scale. Like the, even just this past month, November, we had cold in North America. But we also had cold across a lot, lot of Asia as well simultaneously. So uh, it wasn't just, well, it's only cold here and it's not cold anywhere else. But that, again, that, the, the winter does differ from the other, other seasons. Why is long. it that whenever we look at these temperature anomaly maps, so we're looking at the departure from normal, you mentioned that earlier, the, the average that we may see for that particular day, um, average temperature, both sea and land. When we look at a map that has been, you know, for a specific day and we see the big blue blob, over the U.S., everything else are these reds and oranges showing us that it's warmer than average, but the U.S. is colder than average. What is causing that? Why do we have that discrepancy? I don't know that's well understood. It's actually, it's called the, like the global warming hole. The, the U.S. happens to be one of the places that's warming the least. And I think that's for all seasons, not, not just one particular season. Now, I don't have a good answer for that. Um, it could be that it's you know it's been wet in the in the in the warm months, and if it's wet, it tends to be cooler. Why per se? You know the U U.S. You know like like this past summer, right? We had like disappearance of the drought, uh, Palmer drought index. Mm -hmm. you know, right? uh, almost went to, to uh, almost completely was absent from the U.S. I think maybe for the first time ever. So I mean the U.S. has for some reason has been getting a lot, and and the Northeastern U.S. is known to have had, I know particularly the U Northeast U.S. Uh, has been a strong increase in, in precipitation, especially the heaviest precipitation. So I think that's helped to counterbalance or kind of offset warming, uh, just a, a wetter. And it has to do with if the heating from the sun, if, 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 if the ground is wet, so the heating from the sun, instead of heating up the air, uh, evaporates moisture. So it's kind of robbing energy from, from heating up. So I, I think that's playing a part. But also, you know, my own idea, I try to, I've uh, been arguing that a, a much warmer Arctic has also been leading to colder winters across the Midlands. This is not unique to the United States. The U.S. is one area that's been seen, but also actually it's been strongest in Asia. But, um, so the, the, but across the Midlands, continents has been, has been getting, hasn't been warming as fast. It's kind of been this, it's been stubbornly, you know, wintry <laughs> weather has kind of stubbornly hung on, right? It's been resilient. But we do have these, you know, these endless records of overnight lows that are not getting, you right. know, that are not cooling where they should, especially during the summer and during the shoulder months and all these things. So we have, we have changes going on. But what is it about the Arctic warming that has an impact on our weather here? I've tried to make the argument that it goes through the polar vortex. Now, I mean, there are two camps on, in this, two kind of uh, thoughts, um, camps of thought. One is that it just changes the jet stream that, um, 
So the, the temperature difference between the equator and the pole right, kind of drives the gesture and gives its energy. So because it's so much warmer at, 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 the, at, the, at the equator than it is at the pole, and the air then tries to... So the, <coughs> nature abhors uh, this large uh, changes in, in temperature uh, over, over, an air, over, let's say, over the globe or the hemisphere. So if it's much warmer at the, uh, near the equator and colder at the, at the tropics, it tries to mitigate that or kind of... Uh, even itself out, even maybe it out. a little? Yeah, yeah, even it out. So the air then tries to travel from the equator to the pole, but because of the, the, the our globe spins, it's called the Coriolis Force, <laughs> put everybody to sleep, but <laughs> it, it deflects the wind to the west, to the east, I'm sorry. So the air then really, instead of going north to south, actually uh, travels from west to east across the globe. So, um, so that, that temperature differential drives the jet stream. You, you weaken that temperature differential because it's warming much faster at the Arctic than it is at the equator, and the jet stream is slower, and that turn mm. to, tends to make the jet stream meander more than instead of a west-east flow, and I have north-south flow with large mixing oh, of the air so masses. Oh, so that's like where we get the really big troughs and the big, right. you know, when we see a lot of that cold air infiltration right. into the U.S. from Canada or uh, even farther, right. yeah. farther north and on <laughs> the air, other air, side right. of the globe. Yeah, our coldest air can, you know, tends to actually come from Siberia. I think that was the case yeah. last year when we had that polar vortex event. But, yeah, so, if you know, you can't get cold air into the lower 48 really without a north component to the to the jet stream so if it's just going very quickly west to east we tend to be very mild when it's when we get when the jet stream slows down we get more of this north south uh, mixing of the air masses that's when we get these cold air outbreaks that's when alaska also that's when you see on the news or the, you know the weather force say oh look it's colder in atlanta than it is in you know in alaska because you're having these large swings you know in the jet stream and the air masses are being exchanged so that's all due to the slowing of the jet stream is mm. when we get more amplified, those right. bigger changes. Yeah. What about... Yeah, but that's not my idea. So okay, that's not... <laughs> okay, sorry. My apologies. No, that, that's one idea. There are one two idea. ideas. That's one. My idea is that it goes through the polar vortex. So if you could think... The polar vortex is an area of low pressure that um, sits right over the North Pole. It's in the stratosphere, so like 10, 12 miles above the Earth's surface. It's not, not near, near us here. It's not like a snowstorm or something or a hurricane. But it is, an, it is. It does share that it's a low pressure, and the and the wind flows around that low pressure counterclockwise, so it flows uh, west east across the northern hemisphere, and inside of it tends to be the coldest air uh, of the hemispheres, right inside uh, that that's kind of in in the vortex, let's say, uh, right over the North Pole. <laughs> in that boundary, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what controls? So if the, if the vortex is, is strong and stable, you have. Uh, so you have the very strong west-east flow, and the, and the cold air is confined. It's like a dam. It's dammed over the Arctic, and you have warmer air on the periphery. Which would mean in the contiguous U.S., we would have the yeah, warmer air. Right. The colder right. air would be held kind of northern Canada, Alaska perhaps, or Alaska, even farther yeah. northern than yeah, that. Yeah, Alaska, Greenland, Siberia. and uh, so I, my so favorite you, places. <laughs> And if you think of the, of the jet stream kind of like just as a stream or, you know, a, a fast-flowing uh, body of water, like a stream, a river, if, if the, you know, this, if, if, if that stream is like clean or clear of, of rocks or boulders, right, you have very fast-flowing stream, it's in one direction. So if you heat the Arctic, it's like you introduce, you, you put it this heat dome and you kind of like introduce a boulder into, so, you know, the polar vortex is, is flowing around the, uh, the high, high latitudes of the Arctic, and now you've introduced 
a, a boulder into that stream or the pool of vortex. So now it can't just flow you know, one direction and it starts to, has to go around the boulder. So you kind of introduce, it's before the flow was just one direction, I have introduced a second direction. So not only do you have a west-east flow, but now you also have a north-to-south flow. Mm. And that's where you kind of start getting mixing. So as you introduce that boulder and now you have this north-south component, you're bringing, drawing warmer and warmer air into the polar vortex. And eventually that kind of polar vortex bursts. It's like a little bit like a dam burst. And all that cold air that has been kind of damming up or confining to the Arctic spills out to, to lower latitudes. Mm. And that's when we have these Arctic outbreaks and, and tend to get the snowstorms. So do you think that we're seeing more frequent occurrences of that? Yeah, so, you know, so we, we wrote a paper with some other colleagues that we showed that the, these disruptions of the polar vortex where that cold air breaks out to lower latitudes is happening more frequently, you know, especially since the Arctic has really been experiencing this accelerated warming. Uh, again, th this is a bit of a controversial idea. So no, I think no one argues that it's not that we're not observing this that has been getting happening more frequently, but they'll argue that it's it's a random it's by chance it's not there's no physical connection to the Arctic that you know we, we you know it, it, this this change it waxes and wanes you have periods where there's less you know polar vortex disruptions periods where there's more and we're just going through a period of more but there's there's no physical connection to uh, you know let's say Arctic change. So you're drawing those connections with your colleagues. Now, yeah. is, is that area of the stratosphere, the polar vortex region, is that warming or are we seeing the primary warming closer to the surface of Earth? Yeah, so the models projected that the polar vortex would get colder with time. Um, it also has to do with greenhouse gases. Now, greenhouse gases are warming the surface uh, because they're trapping heat, but in the, in the polar vortex, it's actually the models show that with the polar vortex will get colder with increasing greenhouse gases. Because um, these, these, there's not much atmosphere up there and, and you added uh, CO2 actually can radiate energy into space. So you have mm -hmm. more energy, you have greater energy loss with more CO2. But that's what, that was what everybody was expecting. That's what the models show. But actually the polar vortex has been getting warmer with time. Hmm. So kind of this su surprising and maybe counterintuitive or, you know, counter the, the conventional wisdom or thinking what would happen with the polar vortex. So I've, again, it could, it could be just random. There's, there's these, we talk about this, just the weather's changing, the, the system's changing all the time. So this is just one of those random changes. It's a natural variability. We, talk, we, mentioned, we call it natural variability. But uh, I, I've tried to argue, no, it's not. I mean, I'm, not, I'm a person who doesn't really believe in coincidence. I feel like if something's happening, you know, it's yeah. happening for a reason. You like finding the causation. Right. I, yeah. I mean, that's why you're a scientist. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, at, at its well, core, yeah, but a lot it's of, finding but, the but answers. Most, but most scientists argue that it is. I mean, for every reason. I mean, natural variability, we call it natural but internal variability. The chaotic, you know, I mean, chaos was invented to try and explain the weather. I mean, it's a chaotic system. And... and most of my, at least in, in the field I'm in, most, most of the peers really like to default to it's just chaos and randomness and we really can't explain it. So that means, you know, I'm not saying, you know, so I don't know that science, well, I, I think it has to do with, how I, I've learned some more about some blah, I think a lot of it has to do with Talmudic training. You know, Talmud never just 
the fault. So, oh, it was, a, it was random. It was a mistake. They always find a reason for everything. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, yeah, I feel like that training has kind of shaped my, you know, I, I don't want to just say, okay, whatever, we don't understand it and move on. I mean, I, I, yeah, we can understand it. I, you know, I want to stubbornly want to stay, stay on it and, and find the cause for it, not just default to, well, you know, we, we, it's just, just a random occurrence. So what about that warming that you're, we're seeing happen in the polar vortex in that stratospheric region? In the Arctic, we're seeing this tremendous warming. Places like Yukivik, Alaska have had just almost shocking amounts of warming because of the loss of sea ice. What is that going to play? How is that going to play out long term? I mean, what, a, what is it about that warming that we should maybe be... Uh, tuned into or concerned about in the long run? Okay, so I don't want to confuse your, your listeners. So, I mean, the warming I've been mostly talking about is, well, there's two warmings, but there's the warming in the polar vortex is like 10, 15, 12, 15 yeah. miles above the Way reserve. up there. Okay, so it's not an impact. That warming is not impacting anybody. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, the, the, whatever the, the, the Native Americans, <coughs> Eskimos, um, you know, the indigenous people, in, you know, in, in the Arctic. But um, I, I think they interplay with each other. I mean, I, my argument is kind of is, is a bit of a boomerang effect. So I think the warming, you know, at the let's say at the surface, Alaska and near Scandinavia, that is then impacting the polar vortex. Which, so that the warming near the surface, so that, you know, if it's a chain reaction, so the first part of that kind of reaction or chain is is the warming at the surface, which is having a large social and, and um, societal and economic uh, impacts. Uh, in that region and, and, and way of life, that's impacting the polar vortex, which causes the polar vortex to warm. And then uh, I think the ar the argument is that the, the polar vortex warming then even amplifies the surface warming even more, because uh, as this warm air rushes into the polar vortex, you know, it gets a bit complicated. But what happens first in the stratosphere about two weeks later happens at the surface. So you know, the, the, when you have these disruptions of the polar vortex, the warm air rushes to the North Pole, and the same thing then two weeks later happens at the surface. So you kind of you have warming because the snow is disappearing, the ice is disappearing, and the, you know we see, read about the permafrost thawing, and that's causing a lot of impacts to to structures. But that 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 then is forcing the, the vortex to warm, and then that amplifies that already in, in like w that surface warm base warming is being amplified by the polar vortex warming. So <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry yeah, if the, I got the chicken you. and the egg, and the egg yeah, and the chicken, yeah, yeah. And, and you're you're figuring out the chicken right, and the egg. Okay. Um, but there, it's I like a it's a it's a positive feedback. We talk, I don't know, kind yeah. of. It's a um, they're amplifying each other. You know, they're not we talk about destructive interference, but not kind of offsetting or canceling each other out. They're they're both working t together to make it just to make the warming even greater in that whole uh, the whole Arctic from the surface all the way up into the stratosphere. So on a completely separate note here, um, just because I think our listeners might be interested. And I'm interested. I'm curious. You do long-range forecasting, especially, you know, during the winter. That's why you're here uh, at the Weather Channel today to, to, you know, really focus in on what the winter might look like. Do you use your skills to play the stock market? <laughs> uh, uh, I do think that I'm, I have a knack for predicting the future. I, I mean, 
I, I, I do think the only reason I live in my house is because of uh, playing the stock market. I, mean, I didn't come here to brag about my, uh, my, my stock picking skills, but uh, I'm a big believer in trends. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, the, I mean, I, I use it for stocks. And, you know, in Wall Street, they always say the trend is your friend. And I love to say that as well with the weather. So, I mean, I, I, I think I'm good at picking up on trends. So it's worked on, <laughs> I hope, and the weather has helped a little bit, you know, with the stocks as well. Yeah, the weather tends to I'm, I'm to no Warren Buffett. I know what you <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, that is a fun thing whenever it comes yeah. to some of this longer range forecasting for seasonal forecasts that, I mean, that is something that folks do for fun. I know, I, I know several hobbyists that are meteorologists yeah. that do that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think if I have one talent or knack, it's for identifying trends. So, but again, I, I, I don't play really the, First of all, there's a lot of, <laughs> you know, stress that comes with just uh, trying to get the long-range forecast right. So, I mean, I think having the stress of that and the stocks at the same time. <laughs> might be too I'm much like, for yeah, you. I'm, I think I, I, I'm, I'm, well, it makes sense that you are a climatologist then, finding trends. Right, if right. that's something you excel at, you clearly do, I and it makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for well, sitting was, down with great. me for a it few minutes. It was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, really, uh, so thank you for having me on your, on your podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast. You can do that anywhere that you listen to podcasts, uh, in iTunes, Google Play Store, any of those spots. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, thank you for being a part of the Warming Signs family. I would love to hear from you on Twitter. Tweet at me, at WeatherKate, so we can have a conversation about what you heard in this podcast or maybe in another one. If you have a suggestion, hey, I'll take it. Send it my way. Until next time.